to this week of the Carib podcast. It has been quite a week. Did you see the full moon? It was a strawberry moon, a big super moon. It was quite incredible and I definitely felt the full moon energy around us. This week's guest is Calandra Orton, founder of Up With The Lark, a business consultancy with creative industries. She is the person to chat to if you're looking to start, refine or grow your business. I first came across Calandra when I stumbled across her podcast. I noticed the list of brilliant people she was interviewing and was completely hooked. It wasn't long before I then started taking note of what Calandra was saying a bit more and thinking, oh, she's smart. So after a little bit of online stalking, I realized she could probably help me with my business. And so there our relationship began. Calandra has a talent for finding the core truth behind the confusion. She has handfuls of business insight and knowledge, and she's an excellent storyteller. Just before we start... I have had quite a week of it, technically speaking. I forgot to make sure two microphones were selected when I recorded my conversation with Natalie. And so this week, you have a less of a convivial chat. I had to record with her online where I couldn't see her beautiful face and it just wasn't the same. But alas, she still offers words of wisdom. I won't be making that mistake again in a hurry. I do hope you'll join me in welcoming to the podcast Calandra. Oh, thank you so much. It's so nice to be on this side of things for a change. Can we set the scene? Where are you? I can see lots of lovely creative things in the background, beautiful pictures, books. So I, um, a few months ago, maybe six months ago, moved out of the house, which felt like um, a big decision and has turned out to be a really, really good one. So I have an office space um, on a sort of country estate near my kids' school, and it's all old farm buildings that they've converted into offices. And I am slowly, slowly, slowly turning it from a sort of shell into a space that feels like it reflects what I want it to be about. And you're right, there's a whole new set of shelves behind me, and I've got all books and my Cape Friend prints and all my treasures that, you know, I like to have everything out so I can see it all and, you know, pick up off the shelf and have a read of something and put it back. So, yeah, I'm very, very lucky um, and mm. the sun is shining. When you were uh, doing up your creative space, were you influenced at all by all the people you've talked to over the years, all the artists and designers? Yeah, I think absolutely. And I'm really fortunate that I've been into lots of different um, workspaces and and studios and um, making spaces. And I sat at people's kitchen tables. And I, you know, I've really, I feel really lucky to have seen lots of behind the scenes. I think the very highvoluted phrase I'd come to about the space I had is that I wanted it to be a workshop of ideas. Um, and the, the challenge with that is there's nothing actually in your hand there, is there? So I was very envious of, you know, potters who've got their amazing bags of clay and their potter's wheel. And then, you know, um, someone who might have their loom or someone who's a painter and they've got all their easels. And I was like, well, I essentially have the contents of my brain and a lot of notepads. So um, it has been about sort of finding the ways of expressing what I do and I'd love it you know my goal with it is it becomes a space that someone could come to as a um an escape or a retreat or um a place of refreshment and that there's interesting things to look at and ideas flow and you know that that's the goal absolutely so I know that you were a lawyer um and you gave up the profession in 2015 am I right Yes, it was quite a slow goodbye to the legal profession. I I stopped practicing, I think, in twenty 
end of 2012, I think, um, uh, and then was working in-house strategically and on finance and operations, and then went freelance in 2015 with Up With The Lark. How did that transition come about? So to sort of set the scene of why I ended up in law in the first place. So I come from a family um, chock-a-block with entrepreneurs. In fact, growing up, I, I didn't know anybody that worked for somebody else or had a profession or a job. Everyone ran their own thing. So I'm um, fourth or fifth generation, depending on who's telling the story, of um, a big family company that's international and highly successful Um and then, you know, my mother was an interior designer. My um, grandmother was an artist. Everyone ran their own thing. Even the odd person who had a little bit of a sensible job would be doing something at the weekend. So that was kind of our our lifeblood as a family unit. You know, I remember as a child, the VAT rate changed and we all scurried off to our toy shop and changed the pricing on everything. And it was was what we sat around the table and talked about. You know, my grandmother was an artist. She was a portrait painter. She was very, very successful. And I remember debating whether she should put an advert into Country Life or House and Garden and us all sitting around as a family and and talking about that and and working out the pros and cons and making that decision together. Um, And, you know, I I think that was what we lived and breathed. So um, whilst that was wonderful and exciting as a child, I found the uncertainty and, and... the elements of feast and famine and um I, I found that quite challenging and I was desperate for a profession I was just fixated on a profession what profession can I have I want a qualification I want a qualification so long story short I was that nerdy kid at school and I was just academic and so um discovered law fell in love with the whole thing so I did a master's degree in art law which was one of the best years of my life it was phenomenal so that's fake thefts forgeries um family disputes um and treasure and um shipwrecks and I was just treasure. I was in heaven um and so I ended up I did my years in the city which um I started all around the Lehman brother crash so it was it wasn't a very jolly time to be in the city and so quite quickly thought, you know, I don't want to work seven days a week, 20 hour days, sleep in the office. I, just, I don't know. So ended up going in house at Sotheby's, which I loved. Um, and while I was there, met a fantastic mentor who took me out for lunch one day and said, right, this is this is how I understand you. Either you can go back to the city, do your years, get your partnership, come back and run this department, or you can... Um, find a route where you get to be much closer to the creative and he said you speak commercial to creative and creative to commercial and he said my view is that there's a niche there for you and I'd love you to have the courage to explore it um so I did and I was went uh, and did lots of sort of behind the scenes work um I was at Tate briefly and various other places and then went to Rose Uniac the interior designer when she was I think I was the fourth employee third or fourth and by what the time did you I do left, for her? Um, so I started saying, can I just come and run the office? I wrote her a letter because I thought I just admired her. Okay. So um, I wrote her a letter and said, I'd love to come and work for you. And she said, well, she was wonderful. And she said, yeah, of course. But you just I, the only thing I need is someone to run the office. I was like, fine, I'll do that. I'm not scared of that. So gave up the snazzy shoes and the snazzy glass box office and the great clothes and was like right and it was phenomenal because she let me in to um you know I just spent so much time with her and you know what started as you know can you just work out how to 
simplest, simplest things. Then by the time I'd been there for three years was all that sort of back end financial stuff, operational stuff. But it, it was just those insights and those meetings and those conversations with her um, and a chap called Guy Tobin, who was running all the, the antiques and furniture and bespoke side of things, just really seeing a creative business that clearly had just potential in tonnage to then see that start to to really grow, expand, develop, um, have challenges along the way, um, you know, practical challenges of recruiting teams and looking after teams and managing all the finance. You know, it gets harder as it gets bigger. Um, but I felt really, really fortunate to get to see that in that really exciting era that it was in. In 2015, um, had my first daughter. And while I was on mat leave, set myself a challenge and said, um, love not to have to go back. I was willing to go back, um, but I thought I'd love not to have to because by that point, We'd moved to Brighton and I was commuting and I thought, you know, I, I've got this idea of what I want to do as a freelancer. I'm going to try and do it. So while I was on mat leave that first six months, I thought, right, if I can just get one or two clients in this time, then I won't have to go back. And I managed to pull that off. So I feel really lucky. Those first people who said yes, I will be forever grateful to them. And so when you were talking about the, the job with Rose Uniac, you saw things on the ground from a micro level and a macro level, you know, from challenges to successes. You were right in on the ground organising the office. How would you say this affected you in terms of the business you do now? Do you see this kind of macro, micro thinking within your yes. clients? And what are the benefits to both ways of thinking? I think that's a really, really good question because... I think I find in my experience so far, people are often attracted to one or, or the other of those elements. So often someone's a big vision, big ideas, super talented, super creative, finds the nitty gritty of, I don't know, a cash flow document or an employee's contract um, or a set of statistics about that, you know, from their Google Analytics, find that quite restrictive and, and potentially even boring. They like big picture, big vision. And then there's other people who get very sort of driven by those smaller, those micro elements and and really enjoy that nitty gritty and then don't always invest as much as they could in the vision. And I think what was interesting working for Rose is that I at that time was very micro driven. So that lawyer training, that, that family training of every pound, very detail driven as a person. And I think I probably still have that. Whereas Rose is a real visionary, you know, and, and sees things in scale. And, you know, she's, she's not frightened of anything. And, and I think that that for me was a really wonderful experience of being under her leadership of of getting the opportunity to sit alongside that vision and be drawn in with the vision but also being responsible for the nitty-gritty and I think that probably is where I get most pleasure in a way is helping people to articulate that vision push the vision forwards and and help put those foundational stones in some of that boring structural stuff in the background to enable that vision to flourish. But I, I think if you neglect one or the other, it doesn't last. Um, it, it can be a, a real flash. and It can be something really exciting for a short time. But I think if you want something to last and you want something to grow and mature and evolve, I think you do have to accept that ricochet 
between the macro and, and the micro. It's really interesting that as a lawyer, you recognise you were really good at the micro. And now I see as a client myself that you're really good at doing the micro and the macro. With your clients, do people come to you and you find they're more micro and so they're looking for your macro thinking and vice versa? Or is there something along those lines where they're seeing they're coming to you to fill that gap? I think you're right about filling a gap. I think they might not know this about themselves or or that might not be how they would think about it. But I think someone's coming to me who's ready for change. I think that's one of the things that binds everyone together. Now, whether that's they're starting something new, whether they've got five years in seems to be quite a common, um, I've got a big cluster of people at sort of five to seven years in who are wanting to see real change, whether that's growth, whether that's refinement, whether that's um, adding breadth. And, and I think in terms of that macro micro, I think most people who are coming to me have got an innate sense of the macro. But maybe that mm, has got really diluted or it's been distracted from by tackling the micro. And if the micro to you feels really wearing and tiring and unnatural, which I think it does for a lot of people, then that macro suffers. And I think sometimes bringing me in is bringing the macro back to life um, as well as tackling the micro. And I think there's a lot of uh, consultants out there who will tackle the nitty gritty for you. But my goal is not just for people to be as profitable as possible, but to be as creative as possible. And I, I think what you're touching on there is how much work, effort, pleasure for me is in working on those big visions and really pushing people further than I think they might think they could have done and really excavating and building and developing and really asking uncomfortable questions to really push that vision on. Um, and, and I, you know, for me, my measure of success with someone is if, yeah, I want to see their P&L looking brighter. Yeah, I want to see their team thriving. But I love founders whether they've got a team, it's just them, whether they've got a team of 20, whether they're turning over zero or 10 million, it's that that person is at their very, very, very peak and that their vision is really blossoming. That for me is really exciting. So yeah, I think you're probably right. Does the difference in people's attitude to what success is affect how you might work with someone? Absolutely, absolutely. It's um, it's actually a question I ask on a form. If you want to book in an initial chat with me, you have to answer that question before we've even begun, um, because I think it's very revealing about what someone's trying to achieve. Now, I don't think there's a wrong answer. Um, I don't think it's bad to um, you know, want to do well financially. I don't think it's bad to want the respect of your peers or to um, have freedom. You know, A lot of people, more and more people coming to me saying, I want a business that gives me freedom. Um, None of those are bad, but I do think where someone is with that, um, you do have to advise accordingly and you do have to um, have those things in mind. So if someone comes to me and says, um, you know, I'm in partnership with a friend or a sibling or, um, you know, an old work colleague and they want that partnership to be a really happy partnership, they're not too worried as long as they're making enough to pay the bills and as long as they're well enough respected, they just want to really protect that friendship. Or um, someone else might say, actually, I, I want to sell in five years. Um, is My advice is, is then very, very different. And I think without that playing its part in the, in, in the vision, you can end up wasting time 
money, uh, energy on things that aren't getting you what you want. And, and I also think in this era where everyone is sharing everything and telling everything and we've got access to so much information, it's very important for me with people to know what they think um, and not what someone they follow on Instagram or their next door neighbour or a parent at the school gate or their dad. It's got to be what they think. And I think refining that first means you can then make better decisions going forwards, I think. Have you seen people's idea of what success is change from when you first meet them to when you finish your consultancy with them? That's that's a good question. Yes, I think that it's not necessarily that what success is changes, but maybe the priority of what's in that top three shifts. Um, quite often people will talk about um, industry recognition. I think that's a really intriguing area for us all to be wrestling with, isn't it? You know, how much credit you get, how... Mm. Um, who admires you, what press you get. It, it, it does play a part, doesn't it, in our decision-making. And I think some people, either they come to me and that's huge for them and they're really struggling with comparison or imposter syndrome or envy. And then actually we go through the work and they go, actually, do you know what? I'm doing what I love. I'm good at it. I'm working hard. It's paying the rent. Scrap that. Or someone might say, oh, do you know what? I just want to pay the rent and I want to enjoy it. And then they go through and they go, oh, do you know, maybe I'm quite good at this, actually. Maybe I wouldn't mind a nice little piece of press. So I think I think you're right. It does sometimes shift and alter as we go through the process. Did it with you when we worked? Together? I would say Do you though, feel like it shifted for you. Well, I was in. The... Yes, I was going to say you're very good at harnessing people's talents and reminding people what they are good at and telling and you know sort of shutting out all that other noise within your brain. So that doesn't surprise me because by by sort of the, towards the end of of whatever process you're going through with your client they're on board and they're more confident and they're like actually I can do this you've given them the confidence to do that so I can I completely see how that did how it that change for you from when have we you... first started working together and towards the end do you think it changed well, yeah because it was it was after two sessions with you that I decided to close my shop <laughs> so yeah it had pretty pretty big sorry impact Bruton, I do apologize <laughs> But, you know, that wasn't down to you, all down to you. In fact, it was majoritively me. And you didn't hint at that at all. I think you were pretty shocked when I said it. So, um, but just, I think the, the, the active process of really delving into me and what I want from life and where this is going and actually speaking things out loud, you know, as a business owner, I've said before, it can be quite lonely sometimes and you can't share ideas, which is why I came to you because I thought, God, you know what? I need somebody to talk to about this stuff mm. and so even just saying things out loud to another person suddenly you start to see things and hear what you're saying in a completely different way so it's invaluable with that and you know I just want to say I'm pleased with that decision so <laughs> it's all good you. no but I um, think you've hit on something there you. all these people I work with so many of them have been through the some sort of art schools, even if it's a foundation, whether it's all the way up to a master's, there's people. And at no point in that process is there enough discussion about uh, the practical side, the financial side, you know, your personality, which is something I know you want want to come on to talk to talk about. But I think it 
it's a real lack. And I, I keep thinking one day when I've got a minute, which I just don't know when that will be, but one day I would love to go round to the St. Martins and the KLCs of this world and say, hang on a minute, can mm. we equip people better to ensure those creative uh, roles and industries are in better hands by equipping people better commercially? It shouldn't be that the commercial and the creative are distant cousins um they should be the very very best of friends and and i think it's something that does frustrate me more and more people coming to me saying no one's ever talked to me about how to price my work no one's ever talked to me about how to run a team no one's ever talked to me about how to set up a studio it feels borderline irresponsible to be churning out these talented people through an educational system that doesn't equip them with all of those those skills that they need to sit alongside that creative talent. That's such a good point. And actually, I hadn't thought about that. And looking back at my art background at school, I did a foundation at Camberwell. And even at that point, it would have been really handy because, you know, you can specialise. You want to be an illustrator. Do you want to be a fine artist? You know, and it's it's like, okay, I chose fine art and I absolutely loved it. But it, it could have been really useful to have an idea of, well, how does my life look like if I want to be a fine artist? The business side. Yeah, yeah. Um, maybe they do do that now. There's more of it on offer which is great. Um, Are there consistent personality traits that you notice amongst founders that may change how they approach business? Yes, definitely. I think there's there's a a combination of three things that I find repeatedly sit together in those that are thriving. So talent, there's an increasing feeling for me that you just have that. Um, Yes, you can do your 10,000 hours. Yes, you can graft. Yes, you can go through education. Yes, you can, uh, you know, buy all the amazing equipment. But I, I see more and more and more. I believe in that nature that for some people it's just within them creatively. I also think that's true of business. I know some people will say, oh, everyone should run their own business or anyone can. I, I'm not quite sure uh, that I think that's true. I think it suits a certain type of person, a certain type of brain, a certain type of relationship to risk. Um, a certain life setup, you know, you have to have some support and, you know, so I think talent, talent for your, your trade, your art, um, and a, a little element of talent for business. Um, I think courage, not everyone I work with is confident, but they're all courageous. And I think those are very distinct. And I think courage begets confidence. So courage is the thing of I'm going to show up, I'm going to have a go, I'm going to press live on a website, I'm going to double the price, I'm going to whatever that is. And, and that begets confidence. And I like to think that everyone, you know, the interaction of me is, is an opportunity to express courage, and that it would give you confidence by the end. Um but even people who've been trading for 15 years and turning over a fortune and, and have a very good name, still you keep having to be courageous because I think success, when you've had a success, in a way it's scarier to do the next thing. Um, when you're 24 and you've not done anything yet and we go, oh, failure is amazing, failure is amazing. You learn from failing, 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 um, which is lovely and I think is true. Um, and we do learn hugely from our mistakes But I also think there's something if you've had consistent successes for a a couple of years or or 10 years, the next thing it has weight in it, doesn't it? It has pressure. So that takes courage again. So I think talent and courage. And and the third one is community. 
it, it's I'm not saying it's who you know, not what you know. I'm not saying it's about being connected, but there is something deeply powerful for people who have creative people around them, creative voices, other business owners, um, people who go on to do well definitely need two of those three. So you need talent and community. And do you know what? You'll just have to work out the courage bit or you've got talent and courage and you'll build your community or you've got courage in a community and maybe you're not that talented, but you might be able to get some way. So I think I see those three elements coming back again and again and again and again. After that, there is such a breadth of approach and attitude. Um, I'm working more and more with people on understanding the part that childhood has played. So if you were raised by entrepreneurs, if you were raised by people who are very risk averse, um, I'm working with someone at the moment whose parents have very traditional, very safe jobs and find supporting someone taking risks really challenging. You know, it's interesting when I started, everyone wanted to tell me they were dyslexic. And I did a lot of work on how I present information and how I communicate with people and, and working around different types of dyslexia and, and different brains. Um, ADHD, ADD is quite at the fore at the moment. And working with a lot of people saying, what does that mean for you? How can we interact better to, to support you with that? Um I think um, HSPs, highly sensitive people, that's coming through now a lot more and what that looks like and how you interact with your community and your customer in that sort of type of element. There's also, I think, uh, life stage. So a lot of people I work with are carers, whether that's of um, aging parents or of children. Um, I've got a lot of clients going through IVF. I do think that those situations and scenarios, we don't talk enough about what that does to the PL. We don't talk about what that does to your marketing plan. Um, and I and I think you're right to be asking that question because I think we need to be thinking more about what are those personality traits. And I think, yes, in, in the creative industries, talent, courage, community, but also acknowledging the type of person you are, introvert, extrovert, what, whatever those are, it's going to play a role. And you've got to acknowledge it and not try and pretend to be something else or do what works for someone else because you've seen it on Instagram or you've read it in a book. You've got to understand who you are, where you're at and and try and build a business with that, not despite it and not against it, I think. Does that answer your question? I, it's so well said, Calandra. I remember when we were chatting together and I was saying how much I admired people that had that kind of vision and they were focused and they knew what they wanted and I was seeing that and I was probably like why can't I be more like that and I wish I and you or do I maybe I wasn't even saying that but you very quickly said to me if you lived like that you would be miserable that's not who you are forget about those kind of people because that's them concentrate on who you are you like doing lots of things you like talking to lots of people you're not pigeonholed and I tell you what that completely gave me permission to be myself (laughs) no but I think it's I was like, oh my God, she's right. Why am I trying to be someone else if I was trying, if I, I'm going to be miserable if I'm like that? But I think it's, it's, it's really, so yes. I think it's really, really important to work with who you are and not try and be something that you're not because A, it's miserable. B, it's not even true. Um, and it doesn't last. I think that's the thing I see. I think sometimes people are coming to me who have had a success, but that it's exhausted them. 
because they've had to put on something they've had to wear wear an armor that's too heavy and they just can't keep going um and that i think is is you know put the armor down be who you are and 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 i think as well that's that's true of people um you know, I, I use a phrase um, with my children, um, go where the warmth is, not the cool kids. Like cool kids doesn't, it's not that interesting. Go where the warmth is, go where the people are kind and funny and inclusive, go where the warmth is. And I think that sometimes well, we in, in the arts, we get caught up with the cool and the new and people that we think will help us along or people that seem to have the answer. Or, you know, if I'm in their slipstream, maybe something good will happen don't do that go where the warmth is go where you feel connection go where you someone made you laugh and where you couldn't stop talking and you're like oh no I have to go get a train you know that feeling if you trust in that you'll end up surrounding yourself by people you really get on with and and there's good there's good stuff in there I think oh that is such a golden nugget brilliant brilliant advice um, I am really interested in gut instinct and how that affects your life. Do you see a pattern in the businesses of those that follow their gut um, and those that more follow their head then? I think possibly, I think less of gut instinct and more about the voice of experience. And I wonder if gut instinct feels a bit static, like it's sort of handed to you and you have it and you just keep hold of it and it's unchanging. And actually, I think the people that I see who say, oh, I'm trusting my gut. I think actually, I think what you mean by that is you're trusting your experiences that have refined your ability to assess a situation or judge a situation or uh, make a good decision. So rather than it being just, you know, my gut tells me, I wonder if it's more sometimes my experience tells me and I think people who trust their experience do go on to make better decisions. In terms of the alignment of heart and head, for some people, that's a very important goal. They want to feel their heart and their head are, are in agreement. I don't know if they always need to be. I don't know if they always need to be. Sometimes it can be you have to do something that your heart's like, oh, this feels hard or this feels scary or this feels new. And your head is saying, we need to do this to progress. And sometimes your head catches up with your heart and sometimes your heart catches up with your head. I think if we only act when they're fully in agreement, I don't know how exciting that would be. But I think to have them at war with one another. Yeah, I think to have them at war doesn't make sense. Um, and you know, I, I particularly find this, I have three smallish children and, and running a business often I'm thinking, yeah, I could go to that event. Gosh, I might meet someone amazing, but actually I really want to pick them up from whatever they're doing and do bedtime and hear about their day. And that's a, I find for me, that's a real, I could work seven days a week. I love my job so much. I love my children too. Um, and so for me, that, that feels like a head and heart challenge and they don't always feel matched up. And sometimes I have to say, you know what, mommy's not going to be there to pick you up. And sometimes I have to say, turn down an amazing event. And I think, oh, um, so I think, yes, I think I'd probably say voice of experience is, is vital. And I'd say, keep your heart and your head talking. Don't expect them to always agree, but, but keep them talking. 
all of your clients will have had times of creative flow, but also cr creative block. Have you got any insight into what can help those who might be stuck, whether that's with their business or their creativity? Uh, yes. So I've never experienced creative block. I'm more the person who is in this era where I have too many ideas and not enough time. And it's about deciding which is prioritizing, which I think is one that, that can lead you into procrastination because you think I can't do all the things. Oh, I'll just do none of the things. So I think I've definitely experienced that feeling of, gosh, I don't know what to do next. Client wise, there's a lot of, of, of creative block and a lot of what I would call kind of creative burnout. So when people have been churning things out, surviving a pandemic, um, surviving family scenarios and situations. Um, and I think that there's two things that I come back to again and again, one of which is highly unfashionable, which is repetition. I think that our hankering and our obsession with new experiences, new places, new people is is quite unhealthy um, and actually I think there's something deeply I don't know uh, peaceful powerful impactful about repetition whether it's a place that you work really well in or a particular person who really fills you up fills up your tank or a particular painting that you go back to again and again and again um, you know I think we mustn't be frightened of, of patterns and rituals where we are at our best. Um, and so often I say to people, let's mine those successes and mine those things that have worked um, and go back to them. Um, you know, whether people have traveled to a particular country or, um, as I say, sat in front of a particular painting. Um, I, I do think repetition can be very, very powerful and not always hankering for something new, but, but looking for your own places, spaces, people that, that, get that creativity in a space of peace as well as of challenge. Um, but yes, refreshment is important. And um, uh, a, a while ago, I had a lot of clients saying this to me, I'm stuck, I'm stuck, I'm stuck, I'm stuck. And so um, I did a little 21 days Instagram, asked lots of lovely people, including your lovely self, um, to share their ways that they keep their um, imagination alive how they keep inspired and it, it was really wonderful there was such a variety of approaches from going to walk in the countryside to having a, a physical space to put um creative objects in to um you know you uh, have a martini you know I loved that it was a favorite so I think it is about it's touching on that community you you can't thrive in in these industries alone yes there might be periods of introspection and and solace and silence and solitude and quiet but I do think those interactions with people always raise up something so um yeah I think repetition and then seeking refreshment in in people uh I think offer us so much even a 20 minute conversation can really unlock something or change a perspective or just um a, a bit of fuel for the soul I think I've started doing vision setting and I do the writing as well like what my yeah. focus is and then how I'm going to achieve it and it is things like meditating or yeah. going for a run yeah. it's not just get the list out and write what I need to do but then yeah. I do a visual board and I've started doing it at the moment it's every two weeks and That's it amazing. reflects how I'm feeling 
oh my god it completely changes how I feel and now I feel like suddenly if I feel so much going on in my head I've got to the point now where I'm like I'm gonna do a vision setting and as soon as I see how I feel on paper <laughs> I feel better. So what sort of things would you put in there is that like plowing through Pinterest or things you find in your screenshots on your phone how are you putting that together? So lots of different things. Sometimes I'll, I don't know, say I want to do more running at the moment. I will think I need a visual to have in my mind that that empowers me to do it. So I might try and find a visual of a beautiful countryside scene or a painting of one. Or I might find something of a girl running or if it's more creative, like how I feel creatively then, yeah, it could be Pinterest, it could be a photo I've taken, it could be something I've seen on Instagram. Just having that collection of images, I mean, like a mood board, really. I love that sense of discovery in you of saying, this is something I wanted to work on and I wanted to develop. And so I found myself where I discovered. And I think, you know, when people bring me references from Instagram, I tell them to go away and come back with something else. Because if we're all just reading the same stuff and looking at the same stuff and it's just this terrible... Uh, cycle it's not interesting and I love that in you saying actually all these different places and spaces to pull it all together that it could only possibly be your brain on that board it couldn't be anybody else's and I think that's a real skill and a quality you have is not getting distracted by other people but really focusing on this is what I love and this is what I want my life to look like and I think that's a really really powerful powerful thing that I wish every single person could just have a dollop of that and say doesn't matter what anyone else is doing (laughs) this is what works for me um so one of the many pieces of analogy gold you've offered me is um that of the mental diet and that it completely changed how I view what I'm reading and listening to as soon as you said mental diet you know we're concentrating so much on what we're putting in our bodies oh god we're gonna have fermented food and you know eat 30 spices and vegetables a week or whatever we're forgetting about our mental diet we're just going scrolling on Instagram and that's terrible what's your um mental diet at the moment well I firstly would just like to admit that I wish my physical diet was as good as the mental diet I mean there is too much coffee and not enough kale so I don't say this from a position of strength but the mental diet um yes I think um someone asked me actually just yesterday for um what business books shall I read and I said I don't read business books I like but but you work in business and I was like there's nothing to be learned from a business book I don't I like it's not interesting, is it? When you read them, you read the first chapter, you're all excited. And the next seven chapters are the same thing, just repeated over and over again. It's not exciting. I think people's stories are infinitely more interesting. And those things that are adjacent to business, I think we can learn a lot. So I'm a real Formula One fan. Um, I think there's a lot to be learned from. <laughs> it's not very on brand, is it? Um, I didn't know there's... that. <laughs> I think there's a lot to be learned from Formula One principles and how they run their teams. I think it's really interesting. But my favourite debate are those um, uh, partnerships, those pairings within each team. So whether it's Verstappen and Checo, who are clearly like really competitive, there are some business partnerships out there where 
both sides are like really fighting to prove their worth and they want to outdo each other and that pushes them on there are people like ferrari where it's all friendly and fun and italian and everyone gets on doesn't mean they're not still winning but there's a, a different culture you know and i i think you know whether it's having watched net the netflix documentaries my poor husband i make him watch them over and over again that for me i think i learn a lot from that more than i would from a business book I think one of the things I'm trying to do this year a lot more is physically engage with spaces and uh the wonderful Caroline Kent from Scribble and Daub took me to Great Dixter a few weeks ago and I could kill a plastic plant so for me going around these spaces is quite um I don't know enough so I'm looking at things like how have they done that and I have no it's like watching someone play a musical instrument that you've never played. It's quite mysterious, isn't it? You think, I don't know how they make that sound come from a cello or from an oboe. And I'm walking around feeling almost quite overwhelmed by the knowledge and the experience and the generations that have built that garden. And then at the end, just as we were about to leave, there was this table by the front entrance that had, say, 12 amazing tulips singularly in a single glass with their name in front of them. And... I thought, oh, do you know what? That for me is what I feel like I help people do. Here's the enormous space with all these varieties and all these options and seasons and soil types. And hang on, which do you want to be? What do you want to plant? Let's pull out some of these highlights. Let's label them. Let's understand them. Let's plant them in November and enjoy them in spring. And I think it was a real moment of me thinking, this is why physical spaces are so valuable. We always learn something you have a conversation you would never have on the phone or WhatsApping. You know, I, I think getting more into physical spaces, interacting with things myself. So another part of the physical diet and what I am working really hard on. Uh, I'm definitely in a Ruthie Rogers era. Um, very moved by the River Cafe and all they've done. And I, I've been following them for a while, but I think I'm really enjoying her podcast. She did a brilliant one with Jamie Oliver recently, all about culture and, and how they've built the culture they have and, you know, how they're still making the same recipes that Jamie was making. I don't know, is that 15 years ago? 20 years ago? I don't even know. Wow. Same, some recipe, pork in milk, still cooking it. I just, I love that consistency. I love, um, you know, obviously Richard Rogers as well was an extraordinary character. Rose Graves, extraordinary character. Um, that longevity, that simplicity, that honesty. Um, you know, I've, I'm really moved by her as a person. And, you know, I just want to just wallow in her gentle, determined, visionary. She's a real visionary. I, I, I love that. Um, mm -hmm. And I also am lucky because my husband travels a lot. He's away a lot. And sometimes people go, oh, that must be really hard. And I'm like, well, you know, it is what it is. But in terms of his wonderfulness, he brings me back a magazine from wherever he goes. So um, when he's going through the airport, he's like, I just go past that bit. And he said, often he's in, you know, Japan or in, uh, you know, Germany or he's in Australia. And he'll just grab the thing that he thinks looks the glossiest and the shiniest and most interesting. And then that's what I get when he comes back. And that for me has been a really wonderful resource because half the time I can't even read the language. But it's seeing what other people are seeing yeah. and a... And a it's interesting seeing what British things translate, how long it takes, which things they like. Mm. All of that's really interesting. So I think I, it's trying to keep variety, again, like a physical diet, variety, balance, a little bit of everything. But yeah, there, there should be more kale in my physical diet, I would say. <laughs> 
Oh, Calandra, it has been so lovely talking to you. And I feel very privileged because you're very good not talking about yourself. I'm talking about myself the whole time and I never hear anything about you. So it has been so nice to sit here with you for an hour and hear about you. And you like Formula One. I love that. (laughs) I have a lot to live up to in podcasting shoes. So here we go. Let's give it a go. Well, thank you so much. And thank you for asking such brilliant questions. How are you and how was your full moon? <laughs> are you smacking the table as you ask me? Yes, I am smacking the table because no. otherwise I'm just going to start smacking my head with frustration. Uh, we have had some technological issues with recording this. <laughs> oh. oh dear. Anyway. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. It was a full moon at the weekend. It was a strawberry moon. Um, and I definitely have been feeling the effects of the full moon, sort of keeping me awake a bit, feeling a bit knackered, a bit mental. <laughs> you know, the usual. What about you? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> me too. I've been, I was under the weather all last week, but I'm feeling okay now. But yeah, I do feel the full moon energy in the air for sure. So let's talk about Calandra. I loved my chat with Calandra. And as you know, I have been having coaching from her or I did before I closed Caro and have got to know her well. So I'm so interested to hear what what you thought of our conversation. Well, I thought it was very funny how you said that that was the decision you came to working with her. I know. I know. And that's my business. Yeah. Notice how I followed up there with, um, you know, it's a really good decision. It was the best decision. You know, thank you so much. (laughs) And that's the thing, isn't it, with coaching? You just sometimes it's just a space to be able to hear your own voice reflected by somebody else and to sort of sense check the thing that's been rattling around your head for so long. Yes. And just saying things out loud, as soon as you start speaking to somebody about something, I mean, it's like therapy as well, rather than having all these things in your head all the time, as soon as you start talking about it out loud, you suddenly make a completely different sense of it. Absolutely. If it's left in your head going around and around, things can pick up speed, they can pick up all sorts of other things that attach to that thought and become a little bit complex and not necessarily accurate either whereas when you speak it out loud or if you were to write stuff down it slows it down it lessens the power that thought can have and it sort of helps you to find the clarity within that thought yeah exactly so the thing that I loved about our chat was that her use of metaphors really shone out because when I was having my coaching with her I always loved the way she was able to visualize for me yeah I love that I wonder whether that because she works mainly with creatives if she's had to develop this sort of metaphor use in her work to help people to visualize what it is she's saying because a lot of the time creative artists are very visual people so by bringing that into her coaching that's going to probably really helped with that artistic brain. I loved the bit when she was saying, go to where the warmth and connection is, not where the cool kids are. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And I think she also sort of talks a lot about sort of getting back to what feels good for you versus what you think you should be doing because everyone else is doing. And I think, you know, that's something 
with the amount of information we're all consuming. It's like, how can we like go where the warmth is? What is the warmth for you versus for the warmth for me? And how can we get to know what our warmth is? You know, and I think that is through sort of self-discovery and pause. And as she said, consuming less or being a bit more careful about what it is that you're using uh, for inspiration. You know, she touched upon repetition being something to lean into rather than sort of uh, steer away from. Mm, yeah, that fuel for the soul, revisiting a particular painting or a place. And that, that actually helps with creative block as well. Mm, and I and I loved the notion of, sure, we can absolutely find inspiration online and in those places. But when you actually visit a physical space, be it a gallery, a garden, a museum, anywhere, you know, you can find inspiration in the real world in such a more sort of rich and multi-layered and unique to you way, which I think is really interesting because it's non-directive when you're in a space. It's, it's where your eye is drawn that you'll find that inspiration and where my eye is drawn might be very different to where someone else is. And I think that's that really made me want to find that physical inspiration more often in my life. And I definitely find it in nature. But in Somerset, we don't have as many cultural opportunities as, as I did when I lived in London, but they are there and it's just a case of engaging with them more often. Mm. She described it as a mental diet. It made me reflect on how I consume things and that actually I don't consider what I consume as a diet in itself and that I am actually in control of what I'm putting into my mind and what I, what I think about and what I read about. And actually I had been sort of passive in, about what I consumed rather, rather than actively controlling the content that I consume. Mm. Yeah, it's remembering that you're the curator of your life, isn't it? So we could be consuming all the time. It's like so possible to be consuming some sort of information every second. You know, we have our phones pretty much attached to us, but that doesn't have to be the way. And I think when you are trying to, you know, uh, make a change in your life or find your creativity again or or produce something that mental diet is so important, such an important factor on that journey. Mm. You've got a really lovely quote that you tell yourself, don't you? <laughs> I mean, it sounds a bit big-headed, but it's really just to try and remind myself why I engage, I guess, on, on those platforms, in, on the social media platforms, is I'm trying to create something. So I say, I'm a creator, not a consumer. And I do consume and I do try and consume more mindfully and I, I choose the accounts that inspire me because there are lots of wonderful people creating really beautiful things online. But yeah, I'm a creator, not a consumer has been a helpful mantra just to sort of remind myself of on the daily. The other thing that, that really stuck out for me were the ideas of around success that she has and that there's a shift in that priority of the top three changes over the course of her time with her clients yeah and I think you know that's the sign of a good coach really is when that change can take place and it's acknowledged and it's sort of agreed upon that okay actually I've just realized my goalposts have changed and that's okay that's the transformation happening and you know that remembering that things don't have to be static and actually th through conversation and through curiosity we're more likely to transform and change regularly than sort of be like, this is exactly how I think it's going to be. And this is the exact goal that I'm going to work towards. And it will never shift and change. I think that static sort of mentality isn't very helpful really when we're looking for transformation. When you start 
working with Calandra, you answer a questionnaire. And one of the questions was, what is your idea of success? And she she might have an ex- examples like, is it freedom? Is it life balance? Is it that you want to sell in five years and make loads of money? Is it industry recognition or recognition from your peers? And even just sort of questioning myself with those ideas, I found quite uncomfortable, actually, because I thought, God, I don't want to say that, you know, recognition of any kind is a top priority for me, but actually is it? And and why didn't you want to say that recognition was a priority for you? I think in our culture anyway, there's shame around feeling recognised or or wanting attention for something that you are doing. Yeah, and I think, you know, especially in the wellness world, there's a lot of talk about we should only really seek recognition from within. But I think when it comes to what we create you know, what what comes out of recognition is another way to look at it. And I think, you know, out of recognition comes community because when you're recognised for the work you do, you've, you're going to find people who are maybe on a similar path or are really inspired by what you do or do a similar thing to you. And from that, you know, that sparks the conversations, that sparks the community. So I don't think seeking recognition is bad at all. I think it's about really, with all these things, isn't it? It's about going, well, why? Why is that important to me? And I think once you understand your why, it doesn't matter really what anyone else thinks about it, as long as you're consciously curious about why it is that you want it. And also equally, why it is you don't, you know, because we have been conditioned in, in many different ways. So it's always good to really ask the question why. She said that owning your own business isn't for everybody, which I would 100% agree with. But she said, if you've got two of these three things, then Mm. perhaps it is for you. And that was talent, courage and community. I wonder which ones do you have now? (laughs) I mean, I have all three. (laughs) Definitely have all three. No, I would say maybe courage, you know, whether that's I'm not risk averse. So I'm happy to sort of try things out. So I guess maybe that's where I see I have courage and community. I definitely love what community brings and I like being in a community and actually thinking about community. When I ended Caro, I had coffee with somebody that had business in Bruton and I really look up to. And she said, to me when we were discussing about closing businesses and she said that you know being part of a group or having groups um really helps with the process and I suddenly thought that is such a good way of looking at it because if you're nervous about losing a part of your identity within your business then connecting yourself with different groups that really helped me and do you empathize mm-hmm. with that? Definitely. And I, and I think, you know, modern society is all, is sort of all about separating us really and keeping us in like, you know, our little families where we're we're very sort of closed and, you know, it's no longer this sort of like big families living together and helping, helping each other out or living on the same street. And, and so that can put immense pressure on like any of our relationships, because whether that's, you know, partner or best friend or whatever, that that person then needs to provide all those aspects of you, which is really unhealthy. And that's why I think, like you said, all those groups and things that we can be part of or where we can find um, 
find communities for the things that we really enjoy or the things we want to explore or the things we think we can help where we can help as well is really important I think and and um, makes life so much richer. When she was talking about her gut experience I thought of mm. you you've previously talked about having a healthy gut rather than mm just following your gut instinct and it was quite similar to Calandra's response because she talks about having a gut instinct that's about trusting your experiences so an experienced gut yeah absolutely I think you know this the gut instinct is you know such a word of the moment or phrase of the moment rather but um you know so many of us have had various experiences growing up and throughout our years on you know in adulthood that perhaps can actually make our gut instinct be wonky, in fact, because we might be projecting based on a past experience that was negative and we're sort of that, we're thinking it's gut instinct, but actually it's just a trigger response. Not everyone has this, you know, razor sharp, um, trustworthy gut instinct. It'd be wonderful if we did, but it's something that can certainly be worked on, I think. Absolutely. I loved, and I know you will empathise with this, about the business books and how she professed to not like reading business books. (laughs) Oh, yeah. It was just so refreshing to hear that because I've loved running a business, you know, I've run my own business for many years now and in various different ways. And every time I'm like, maybe it didn't work out because I didn't read another business book. But it's not that. And I look at them and they are so boring. (laughs) (laughs) and they don't really teach you much whereas like listening to people's experiences or like meeting people or working for other people in small businesses like those are the things that are gonna bring you that sort of educational piece and then of course doing it actually doing it is like the the fastest education you'll ever receive in business because you have to just learn on your feet and I don't think I mean, you can speak to this, um, but I'm not sure there would ever have been a course that you could have signed up to that would have created Caro. No, no. And actually learning on the job, as you say, but also talking to fellow business starters in all different industries. That's where I learned the most. But like I say in the bio for this podcast is I felt like I was constantly looking for a handbook, you know, Mm. by other entrepreneurs. They're going to tell me how to do this and it actually then it just turned out where we were all just going I don't know what the fuck I'm doing (laughs) yeah so I never really found that handbook which was reassuring in lots of ways but also quite disconcerting in other ways so yeah and I think when you when you meet a, a fellow business owner that is willing to share in an honest way then it's really appreciated and sort of all the all the gates and barriers and boundaries go down you're like oh good you get what I mean yeah, um, so, so so Instagram isn't the truth so you're not just yeah. having a really amazing easy time of it there is a hard time behind it okay good you're crying every single night oh, thank god it's yeah. <laughs> um oh. and the heart and head in alignment yes. That's the, yes the other thing that I you know, another golden nugget. <laughs> mm, there are many, many. That is a well-known phrase, isn't it? Lots of people think that they have to to jump into something. Both of those things have to feel right. And I loved what she said is that sometimes one of them needs to catch up with the other, but just because they're not in complete alignment doesn't mean something isn't the right thing to do. No, exactly. And actually, I'd probably add head, heart and gut. Thank you so much for chatting to me again, despite all these technology issues. And I'm praying for a better week next week. No worries. Right, well, hopefully see you next week. See you next week. Bye.